Law school isn't easy. The material is dense. Your grade often rides on one final exam. The critical reading and thinking are unlike anything you've ever done before. But it doesn't have to ruin your physical, mental, or emotional health. My name is Madison Bodison, a 2021 law school grad turned civil plaintiff's attorney. And I'm on a mission to help law students set boundaries, prioritize themselves, and become better future lawyers despite the toxic, unnecessarily competitive environments they find themselves in. Law schools tell students that sacrificing everything to achieve top grades and a high class rank is the only way to succeed as a lawyer. But I'm living proof that's not true. I was nowhere near the top of my class, but yet I managed to pass the bar on the first try and land an amazing job before I even graduated. But I could not have done that if I hadn't learned to prioritize myself and my mental and emotional well-being. Two things that are far more important than getting an A in contracts or landing in the top 10% of your class. It took me half of law school to learn that lesson, but I'm here to help you learn that lesson long before I did. Here on Legally You, you'll find encouragement and guidance for every scenario you face as a student, from bad professors to battling imposter syndrome to dating your non-law student significant other. I'll share stories from my time as a law student and what I've learned after coaching dozens of law students from across the country. I'll give you a behind-the-scenes look at being a young lawyer in the wake of a pandemic and dramatically changing legal field. So if you're ready to take law school by storm while maintaining your authenticity and your sanity, then you're in the right place. Join me as I demystify law school and give you the tools you need to conquer school and reach your dream of becoming a lawyer. Hey, hey, everybody. I know it's been a while. Life has been crazy. Work has been very, very, very time consuming lately. Up until about a week ago, I thought that I would be in trial right now. Luckily, that's not the case. So over the last few weeks, I've had lots of questions about legal writing, appellate briefs. I know that most of you 1Ls have appellate briefs due within the next couple of weeks. And while you should be almost done with them, I did want to kind of run through just some quick tips and tricks to really help you nail this assignment. This is truly the hallmark of your 1L year. It becomes your writing sample until you have maybe written like a case note or, um, you know, an actual brief in an internship that was filed with the court. What I have found over the last few weeks is that law schools are not giving students much direction on how to go about these. Considering the weight of this assignment and how it could potentially influence whether you get a particular in- internship, I think that's crap. Over the last couple of weeks, I have refined my my approach to this assignment um, and I have given this to several students and I wanted to put a more succinct version out there for all of you listening. If you're struggling with your brief, if you feel stuck, if you have writer's block, if you're just really not sure where to begin, um, I have got kind of a five-step system to nail your appellate brief and feel confident turning it in and using it to prep for um, your oral arguments. So let's dive in. When you read through those materials, what are you being asked to do? 
many of you will be asked to represent either the government or the um, or a defendant, an, an accused criminal, likely on a constitutional or an evidentiary issue. You may have a civil issue. Most of the time, however, in my experience, I've seen that they are criminal constitutional issues because these are very dicey. The case law is all over the place. Really, it just allows you to be creative because there's not a single case on directly on point. Your first step to understand your objective, you have to read through all the materials and understand whether it's a criminal or civil case and whether you are wanting the court to affirm or overturn the lower court's ruling. That particularly will help shape your approach to the brief. In the case of my 1L brief, it was a Fourth Amendment search and seizure issue um, about the defendant's right to privacy in a particular situation. So, I chose to write for the petitioner who was the the defendant in the criminal case, and my job was to persuade the appellate court to overturn the lower court's ruling that my client did not have a right to privacy in this particular scenario. So understanding that helped me to develop my paper and understand the various legal concepts that went into that argument. So, number one, understand your objective. Okay, step number two, start broad. I think the easiest example here is to talk about um, the Fifth Amendment-based appellate briefs that several of my students are writing. So, as you probably know, the Fifth Amendment encompasses several concepts, but it protects against self-incrimination which is what a, what several of my students are writing appellate briefs on this semester in one form or fashion. When I say start broad, I mean very literally start with the Fifth Amendment. What does it say? What rights does it guarantee citizens? And then you have to look at cases which interpreted that right. So, for example, I have students writing about writing about Miranda issues, the various issues encompassed within Miranda. So in starting broad, they start with the Fifth Amendment. And then to get just a tiny bit narrower, they talk about Miranda v. Arizona, which which we all know created the Miranda warning. You have the right to remain silent. Anything you say can and will be used against you in a court of law and on and on. But you have to start with that broad principle to further help you understand what you're arguing. And in so many briefs, students are arguing that someone's constitutional rights were or were not violated. So you absolutely have to start with the right itself, the text right out of the Constitution, and any major cases like a Miranda v. Arizona that interpreted that right. From there, it will help you narrow your focus. Most of these brief assignments that I have seen have sub-issues. There's multiple different things within um, Miranda warnings and and cases that came after it that really dig into the right against self-incrimination, but you won't be able to understand those more narrow issues 
if you don't understand the big picture. So you have to start broad. Step number two, start broad. Now to step three, narrow your focus. This is where you get into the more specific sub-issues within your topic. So, for example, I have a student right now writing about Miranda v. Arizona and the Fifth Amendment, but more specifically, the custody issue. Was the defendant in custody? There's a ton of case law on what constitutes custody, and you use that to argue in your particular scenario, was it custody or was or were they not in custody? And that plays into the bigger issues like whether they needed their Miranda warning given to them or whether they waived the Miranda warning. Understanding the broad principle helps you to narrow your focus. So maybe it's a Fourth Amendment issue and we are writing about a search and what constitutes reasonableness of a search. Well, before you can get to what constitutes reasonableness of a search, you have to start with the Fourth Amendment itself and what constitutes a search, then what constitutes a reasonable search. So again, starting with that broad principle and then narrowing in on the more specific issue that you were asked to write with. And once you get get to that narrower issue, you can then go to the case law and find things specifically on your issues and really dig in. Okay, step four, choosing your authority. This is something that I've had so many students ask about because it was just not clear to them in their legal writing classes how in the world they should go about finding case law and other materials to cite within their brief. So first it's important to understand persuasive versus precedential authority. Persuasive authority would be like me, a lawyer in Oklahoma, using a case from Texas in my brief. Well, a judge in Oklahoma is not required to follow it. He, he or she may be persuaded by it, but there's no requirement to follow it. However, if me, a lawyer in Oklahoma, found a, an Oklahoma Supreme Court case on an, on an issue and I included it in a, in a summary judgment brief in the trial court, if the trial judge does not follow that case law, that's a reversible error on appeal, particularly if the Supreme Court case that was cited is directly on point. In the context of an appellate brief, the most precedential, most mandatory case law is going to be Supreme Court case law, Supreme Court of the United States, SCOTUS cases especially because many of you are writing on issues regarding the federal constitution. There is an enormous amount of Supreme Court case law on, on these issues. But I think where students get kind of freaked out is these appellate briefs are usually in hypothetical jurisdictions. And so you, 
you can't really cite to a particular circuit, Ninth Circuit opinion on the issue that has been cited by courts all over the country, state and federal level. It's It was denied cert by the Supreme Court, so it has kind of been treated as the authority in a lot of ways, um, particularly for similar factual scenarios. Always, always, always start with the Supreme Court. That will give you a very good foundation. And then as you want to get maybe a little bit more fact-specific, that's when you start exploring circuit court opinions, and particularly on federal constitutional issues. It should be fairly apparent what cases are important, what cases are popular, what cases are respected, but you have to start with Supreme Court cases and work your way down. I don't want to say never, so it should be an extremely rare circumstance (laughs) wherein you are citing a district court opinion, especially if you are writing on on an issue related to the federal constitution and the rights therein. Your case law should be solely Supreme Court of the United States and maybe a few circuit court opinions mixed in. As for secondary sources, if you find a great few lines out of a Harvard Law Review case note that you want to use in your opening uh, opening section or you feel like you found a great explanation of a concept within a very high-level law review article, go for it. If you're writing on an issue of civil law, many states have adopted the restatement in that in a particular area, restatement of torts, contracts, etc. And that may very well be. Another thing that I particularly like to cite in briefs, um, here in Oklahoma, we have fairly well-written, organized jury instructions. So if you are writing about, you know, the outcome of a jury trial, maybe you are appealing the way a jury was instructed. Don't be afraid to go find those jury instructions. Those can be very helpful. But I would say that 95% of your authority should be Supreme Court or Circuit Court case law, especially because most of you will be writing on issues related to the federal constitution. So that's step four, choosing your authority. Step five, structure. I'm actually sitting here looking at my appellate brief from 1L year and actual Supreme Court rules. So you start with, then you're going to have a jurisdictional statement that basically tells the court why it has the authority to hear this. Then you're going to have your issues presented. So for example, I have, I had two in mind. The first is an expectation of privacy is reasonable when a person exhibits an actual expectation and when it is one society would consider reasonable. One of these expectations involves avoiding disclosure of personal matters or confidentiality. Did Miss Collins have a reasonable expectation of privacy in her prescription records? So, if you didn't catch it, it's a Fourth Amendment problem. The second one was warrantless searches are per se unreasonable with a few exceptions. Administrative and special needs exceptions are those that serve a purpose other than general law enforcement and seek to further the regulatory scheme. 
did the administrative or special needs exceptions apply to Ms. Collins' prescription records? Basically, did she have a reasonable expectation of privacy? And if she did, did the exceptions apply so that the government could get that information? Then your statement of the case, which includes a statement of the facts, very short and to the point, you should only include the most pertinent facts. I actually wrote the facts section last, and I still do that in real briefs at work. I write the facts section last. I will go back, read through all the all the law that I've cited in my argument, and write the facts section to only include the very pertinent facts the court needs to understand the legal issue at hand. Because remember, in most scenarios, a judge is the, the arbiter of the law, not the finder of fact. So the legal argument is far more important when it is up to a judge to decide. Whereas if you're in front of a jury, they want to know the facts because it's their job to determine them. So from your statement of facts, you go into your procedural history. Mine started with the arrest of my, my hypothetical client, the charges that she was, was, was indicted for, and the motion to suppress certain these, the evidence of these prescription records at issue, and the lower court's rulings on the issue. Then I give a summary of, an, of the argument, so just a paragraph on each issue. Then you get into the argument. The argument is the meat of your paper. The argument will garner you the majority of your points. Just like on a law school final exam where most professors give the most points for the application or argument section of your IRAC of an issue, your appellate brief is the same way. My first heading, and I would do it differently now, but my first heading was an expectation of privacy and prescription records. Now I probably would have written that like Miss Collins had an expectation of privacy in her prescription records. Then I had subheadings under those. Then I had a second issue, which also had sub-issues within it. Then I concluded. I'm going to put my appellate brief up on the website so that you guys can see it. Um, I got an A- on it. Now, I think <laughs> if I could go back and rewrite it, I think it would be a lot better. Um, I'm going to give you the the unedited version um, that doesn't have the all the suggestions and edits from my professor after um, after the grading. But I wanted you guys to be able to see this so that you have something to go on. You have some something real to see. The other thing that really helped me in finding my structure of my argument was reading real appellate briefs. You can get on Westlaw and pull party briefs and Amici briefs in every Supreme Court case, in Circuit Court of Appeals cases. Those will help you get a much better idea of how you're supposed to write this damn thing. I think that's where students get hung up because they've never written on this scale but really what it is, it's, a, it's an IRAC on steroids with many more cases than what you would probably cover in a, in a law school class. I think my appellate brief, let's see, I cited, I want to say it was like 20 to 25 cases, I think. Yeah. But 
remember, this is not like the memo where you have to illustrate every single case, explain every single case. There's really only a couple of these 20 plus cases that I really went very in depth with. Uh, and you'll and you'll see that if you read through my brief, but but I wanted to give you guys this look at structure, even though your professor may require something a little bit different, just so you guys have an idea of what you're doing. Because it doesn't seem like your professors are teaching you how to write these. So step number five is structuring your paper. Okay, so just to recap, step one, understand your objective. Know what you're writing and why. Number two, start broad. Start with the big picture legal concept that you're discussing. Three, narrow your focus into the particular issue you are trying to convince the court of. Four, choose the proper authority. Supreme Court case law is your best friend. Five, structure your argument appropriately. This will be the key in winning the court over. If you do all five of these things, you'll have no problem nailing your appellate brief, impressing your professors, and creating a solid writing sample to get you your first internship. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Legally You. For more content, follow me over on Instagram at legally underscore Madison or head over to madisonbodison.com for more resources and information on how you can become a student. If you love what you heard today, please give me a rating on Spotify or leave a review over on Apple Podcasts. That really means so much. See you guys next week.